Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Monday, December 3rd. I'm Sophie Casas. Today we're talking about the HIV prevention medication called PrEP and how it may be getting unfairly blamed for the spread of other STIs. Although PrEP had a slow start, it's now surging in popularity around the world, particularly among gay and bisexual men. Good data is lacking, but San Francisco is widely believed to have the highest uptake in the world. There, the rate of new HIV infections roughly halved between 2012 and 2016, attributed largely to more testing, better use of treatment to make people with HIV uninfectious, and PrEP. Public health officials and doctors have begun crediting PrEP with helping to dramatically reduce HIV transmission rates in many cities. And all of this is in spite of some formidable barriers to access and an ongoing backlash. So I sat down with writer Bryn Nelson to learn more. Bryn's story was originally published by Welcome on Mosaic. So Bryn, you wrote an article about a relatively new medication called Truvada, which is also known as PrEP. Can you start by just explaining what PrEP does and how long it's been on the market? So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it's a daily HIV preventive pill. Currently, the only PrEP drug on the market is Truvada, which is a combination of two different drugs. And Truvada had already existed as a form of HIV treatment, but it was approved specifically as an HIV preventive as well by the FDA in uh, 2012. And the HIV crisis isn't over. It's it's ongoing. It still affects many, many people. But with kind of the history of the height of the crisis in the 80s and 90s, especially still very much in our memories, PrEP seems like a miracle drug. I mean, it's incredible to think about what PrEP does. So what has the success looked like? And, you know, what are the success rates? So, so PrEP has been uh, quite effective as a preventive. And um, according to the CDC, taking the pill consistently and as indicated, so they have a, a metric for, um, you know, if um, the, the drug can be detected in someone's bloodstream as a way to make sure that they're actually taking it. If it is taken consistently, it can reduce the risk of acquiring HIV by 92%. Now, actually, there are studies that suggest that if you can verify the drug's presence in someone's blood, it may reduce the risk by nearly 100%. So the documented failures of PrEP in preventing HIV have actually been very, very rare, only a handful of cases to date. And so a number of cities now are starting to credit PrEP in addition to other measures like increased testing 
and also treatment as prevention for dramatically reducing uh, the rate of, of new HIV transmission. Now, this isn't universal, but cities are starting to uh, report on this. The thing that your article brings up is that even though we're seeing these kinds of successes with PrEP, it is a drug that has also come with some controversy and some negative reactions, um, some fear involved. And I want to talk about that a little bit. What are some of the arguments people are making that kind of complicate the story or are outright against PrEP? So I think the controversies are, are basically in two categories, and I think one are more uh, moral arguments, and others uh, would be more scientific arguments. And you know what's interesting about some of the controversy over PrEP is it has really mirrored some of uh, the past controversies over other safe sex methods, or safer sex methods, I should say. So you've had slut shaming, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and men who take PrEP have been called Truvada whores. It's been called a party drug, um, basically something you take if you just want to have as much sex as possible. So that's really sort of the moral judgment. And, and you know, that's not necessarily new, um, but it has uh, very much attached itself to PrEP as well. From a scientific side, there are uh, a number of arguments, and one sort of revolves around this notion that's known as risk compensation. And that's the idea, if you uh, feel more protected, you may be likely to take more risks. So think of it like um, someone who wears a seatbelt and then goes speeding, right? So again, that's not necessarily a new phenomenon, and uh, before PrEP, this was raised for condoms Mm -hmm. and for um, uh, even um, adult male circumcision, which is um, a controversial practice, but um, there's some scientific evidence that it may reduce the risk of HIV. Um, But there's actually been arguments made, you know, that, well, maybe people will take more risks. (laughs) And it's even been uh, raised for uh, the birth control pill. Right. So, so there's, so there's, you know, there's a, there's a number of different uh, arguments, but I think um, what you're seeing is kind of a swirl of both moral judgments and then, um, you know, scientific uh, debate. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, when the birth control pill first became available, there was tons of backlash and women were seen as morally questionable because they were actively planning for sex. And I think you can draw a lot of parallels in terms of the reactions we're seeing to PrEP and kind of the issue of making gay sex a moral issue. Um, But in terms of the science, I want to talk about something that you dedicated a big chunk of your piece to, which is kind of the debate around whether or not PrEP is causing people to use condoms less and therefore potentially contributing to increased rates of other STIs like gonorrhea and chlamydia and syphilis. So is is that a real concern? And, you know, what are ways that we can support the use of PrEP while also addressing this issue and, and making sure people are safe from other STIs as well? Right, right. Yeah, good question. Um, so uh, first, um, you know, the, the, the issue of uh, people using condoms less uh, when they have sex is something that uh, uh, scientists have been fretting about uh, for the last 20 years. You know, so that's not a new phenomenon necessarily, but it's something that's been on their radar. So 
the evidence about whether PrEP is is contributing to that, um, I think, is is somewhat controversial. There are some studies that suggest that yes, in fact, people may be changing their behavior because of PrEP, and and that makes sense if you think about it. If their primary concern is protecting themselves from HIV. PrEP has been shown to be very effective, right? So they may use PrEP instead of a condom if that's their main concern. I think what what the 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 crux of the debate is is really saying, okay, if if you're using condoms less, does that necessarily mean that uh, that PrEP is contributing to the increased rates of, of, of STIs? And I think that link is much weaker. And in fact, you know, some of the evidence in the story that I, that I talk about suggests that if you do a, a program right, that the opposite may be true, that you may actually be able to decrease some of the rates. So first of all, this was sort of seen as a public health trade-off. You might have lower HIV transmission rates because of PrEP, but public health agencies would have to deal with these higher transmission rates for other STIs. But I think what you have to do is then say, okay, first, what's the effect on people's behavior? Are they really using condoms less? If they are, does that necessarily mean that that behavior is leading to increased rates of STIs? And I think the evidence suggests that it it may not be. One of the keys for this is that the testing is paramount. You know, to be clear, PrEP does not in, in, in itself do anything to prevent uh, other STIs. It is only effective against HIV. The point is that if you couple PrEP with a comprehensive program, testing program, where you're testing people for STIs every three months, you may be able to catch some of the STIs early. And in fact, may be able to catch some of the STIs that people were never tested for ever, you know, in their lives. Um, and by doing that, you might then be able to help disrupt the transmission of, of some of these other STIs. Right. And you, you talked about asymptomatic STIs and people, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly being tested for the first time for something they didn't even know they had and then getting treatment for it and, you know, then not passing it on. So, you know, there are all of these different factors you've brought up that kind of complicate the stats um, when a new drug is introduced. You know, in so many public health cases, more screening often means that there's kind of an initial spike in diagnoses. And that can look like there are more infections when really we're sort of just at the point where we're catching those infections. Is that part of the data that's being shown here? And kind of how do we decipher the difference? Is it just going to kind of play out over time? That's exactly right. We are we are seeing that in some cases. And if you think about it, it makes sense because we've tended to put people on different risk categories, depending on what sort of risk we think they might have. But a lot of times those risk categories aren't accurate at all. Because if you think about it, people may go to their doctor and their doctor may ask about, you know, sexual history. And if they're not comfortable with their doctor, if they think they're going to be judged or shamed, they may not be truthful. And, you know, a lot of the testing is is based on self-reported risk, right? And so if you said, well, of course, I always use condoms or no, I've never, you know, um, I've never had unprotected sex, your doctor will may say, okay, well, then we don't need to test you for these things. 
And what some of these studies have shown is that if you actually test people who have been considered low risk, they're not necessarily low risk. So when you have a comprehensive program like this and you make it a requirement that you're going to be tested first at the baseline before you ever start taking PrEP, and then you're tested regularly thereafter, so say every three months, which is now uh, you know, becoming a, a recommendation, you may catch a lot of things that uh, you didn't think you were going to catch, you know, as one of the uh, the researchers talked to me said, you know, if you go fishing, you're going to catch fish. Right. So, so, so I think the key is not only sort of reassessing how we judge risk, but also following people over time. You know, it's not good enough to just say, okay, we're going to have a data point at one point and we're going to say, okay, people who are on PrEP, are at a higher risk for STIs because we have, you know, this data point that suggests that they have much higher STIs. Well, it depends on when you actually measure it, right? So, so you want to test them before they start taking the drug, after they start taking the drug, and then you want to continue over time. And if you do that, some of the newer studies are starting to show suggestions that the STI numbers can drop over time. Yeah, it seems like testing being paired kind of hand in hand with PrEP is really a huge part of this story. Absolutely. And I think I think that's the key, um, you know, the, the key message here is that we really haven't been doing the kind of tests that we really need to do to catch the SDIs like gonorrhea. And just as an example, you know, you can have uh, erectile gonorrhea, you can have urethral gonorrhea, you can also have pharyngeal gonorrhea, that oral gonorrhea. And we know that a lot of um, those cases are asymptomatic. We also know that oral gonorrhea may account for something like a third of all cases. Well, if there's a third of all cases, they're not terribly symptomatic and you're not being tested for them. Well, that's a lot of undiagnosed gonorrhea that can be, you know, out in the community. So that's just sort of one example and showing that, you know, it's not just about anal sex. It's not just about vaginal sex. You know, we have to consider the different ways that people are actually having sex, right? And 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 talk a little bit more um, openly and honestly about, you know, what the risks might actually be and then test them accordingly. It's really not just kind of the, the science of the medication. It seems like PrEP is starting to change how people have conversations with their doctors. And I'm wondering, like, do you see that happening where PrEP could, you know, help reduce stigma? Yes, absolutely. And I, I, we're seeing it in a couple uh, different clinics in particular. Um, there's a clinic in London that's called 56 Dean Street uh, that has really become a model um, around the world. Um, there's also a clinic in San Francisco. It's called Magnet at Strut. And uh, I talked to uh, folks who, who are uh, affiliated with both of those clinics. And one of the things that is key is, is um, making sure that people feel comfortable going to the clinic. The first thing is that you're never going to catch any of this if people never are, are tested, right? So if they don't feel comfortable enough to actually go and get tested, you're you're not going to catch this. So so the, the, the first thing is that they've really made this concerted effort to try and adopt a guilt and shame-free approach to sex. 
so that's uh, uh, you know uh, I think a, a fundamental consideration here. And then when you talk about prep in that context, one of the first questions was whether it would work as an effective HIV preventive. The answer is yes. Um, it works quite well. So a number of these clinics have added prep um, prep programs, you know, as part of their sexual health offerings, and that's been uh, incredibly popular. And of course, that costs money, but we can we can get to that right. <laughs> in a little bit about the question of cost. But the second question is about what are the downsides. And, um, you know, if, if, if there's honest uh, discussions about, you know, here are some of the potential side effects, you know, and there are some side effects with PrEP, you know, it, it, you can have, uh, it, in some cases, um, there have been reduced uh, kidney function, um, some bone density loss. So they're not common side effects, but it is, you know, it's a drug. So, you know, there have to be honest discussions about that as well. But I think what what this has done is by bringing people into these clinics and by having more honest discussions with their doctors, they're able to talk more openly and honestly about all different aspects of their sexual health because they don't have the same fear that they're going to be shamed or lectured or discriminated against. So if you have an effective uh, uh, sexual health clinic, an effective PrEP program, that can open the door to then even other discussions about other ways that you can reduce your risk. So not only around sexual health, but um, around diet, around smoking, around drinking. Um, So I talked to doctors who are actually able to diagnose other health conditions in their patients because their patients felt comfortable enough with them, uh, you know, because they had been, you know, more, more, more open and honest about sexual health. Right. I just want to touch upon one more thing, which is kind of the moral weight that's been attached to gay sex. Um, And I just want to talk a little bit about how PrEP is dealing with that and, you know, marketing itself. And is it sending any counter narratives? At the height of the AIDS crisis, um, you know, gay and bisexual men in particular were bombarded with these messages and and often well-meaning ones, uh, but messages that if they didn't wear condoms, they would die and possibly kill their loved ones. So that's an enormous moral weight. And um, the, the takeaway from that was that if you didn't wear condoms, you were immoral. And that was, you know, in addition to, you know, a lot of the moral judgments just around uh, uh, gay sex in general. And so what happened was you would see a lot of ads that had very overt references to death. So um, skeletons having sex or the Grim Reaper slipping on a condom or someone having sex with a giant scorpion. So these were very inescapable images that a lot of people grew up with um, and made sex scary, but also very morally tinged. And I think what has happened now is that people have uh, uh, realized that the scare tactics don't necessarily work when um, HIV and AIDS is no longer necessarily a death sentence. So public health agencies in particular have shifted their messaging to be more sex positive and less um, morally weighted to, to try and take away kind of some of the stigma. And, and the idea is, 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 is not to make the messaging fear-based, but to make the messaging more self-empowering, you know, saying, yes, 
we know that uh, you have sex. That's good. We want you to be healthy. So please come in uh, for testing. And so I think that has kind of helped diffuse some of uh, some of the this sort of very weighty moral issues, um, you know, that have been uh, around for for decades now. To kind of wrap this interview up, let's talk about the cost issue. What does access to PrEP and cost look like and what factor does that play in treatment? Right. So, so, so access is, is still a considerable barrier. And, you know, when we have to consider that, um, you know, the U.S. traditionally has, has not been great about um, getting um, HIV medication to folks who need it most. So, you know, just to be clear, the, the AIDS crisis isn't over in the US it's still it's still going on and in fact it is disproportionately affecting gay men of color so young black and hispanic men in particular trans women are also disproportionately affected and a lot of times that's because they don't have access to to preventive care or to treatment and these drugs aren't cheap in fact, if you look at the even the discounted price of Truvada, not necessarily the, the 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 cost that you would pay, but the cost if you went to your pharmacy and you had to pay out of pocket, it can be up to seventeen hundred dollars for thirty pills. That's a lot. Most of uh, U.S. insurers can negotiate lower costs and they'll pick up much of the tab. But you still have out-of-pocket deductibles. You still have co-pays. Gilead is the um, developer of the drug. Gilead has a co-pay assistance program. But not everyone necessarily has, has access to this. One of the things that is um, hopeful is that there was a new statement that was put out by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. And that's an independent uh, group of experts and they make recommendations for primary care doctors. And they just recommended that PrEP be offered to everyone at high risk of acquiring HIV. And that's a very uh, significant uh, development because mm. their recommendation carries an, an A grade. That means that's the highest certainty that there's going to be a substantial net benefit. By federal law, what that means is that insurers would be required to cover it without requiring a co-payment. So that has the potential of opening up access right. to additional people who could benefit from it. You know, at the same time, um, other groups are pushing for lower costs. They're pushing for the arrival of generic alternatives that would get more at-risk people on the pill. You can read the full article at tonic.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.